Welcome to our podcast here at Hope United Church. To access the live stream of our services, along with other resources and information, please visit www.hopeunited.org.uk. If it's gone anything we where we've been in 2 Timothy chapter 2, it's no chance because they were it's been 13 hours, 12, 13 hours in that alone in chapter 2. And as by the looks at chapter 3, it's not going to get any better here. Uh, uh, okay, so the, the, the subheading this morning is an uh, important heading, I believe. It's remaining faithful in troubling times. And uh, as we're halfway through to Timothy, uh, you'll be pleased to know some of you that it's not going to light up. His instruction doesn't get any easier. The intensity in the warnings are actually get harder. Some of these are like, oh, please no. I was talking to I was talking to one of the, the members of the church last week, and he says, you know, all week I think I'm doing not too bad, and then I come to church on Sunday and I think no, I'm not doing great. <laughs> Join the club. Uh, we are living in dangerous times. We are living in challenging times. We are living in perilous times under intense threat, uh, the world, the church, and many, unfortunately, as we know, are folding. Believers are folding under that pressure. Where is the pressure coming from? Well, as always, from the world. But today it's from a world that is demanding equality in every possible sphere of life. I was reading yesterday, when I I was studying, I actually read it the other day, but when I was preparing yesterday, I have to say, uh, my brother Ernest here in the second row, I I would just love a close-up of him as I read this here. I'd just love to see your face when you read this because me and Ernest talk about so many different things and he's such a a wonderful articulator. He words at times and... uh, and, uh, when we talk about these things, he's, he's got an amazing way of trying to explaining this stuff to people. But, but anyway, I was reading yesterday that hiking is now a white privilege. <laughs> Therefore, it's a violation of other ethnic groups. Why? Because a black woman went hiking and it struck her that throughout her hike, she never met anyone who wasn't white. So therefore, she was not comfortable not meeting anyone who she said she couldn't identify with. So in order to stop anyone feeling isolated, a group is started up. You couldn't make this up. Whose aim is to get roots made during hikes that will help people of minority races feel less excluded. The World Economic Forum are the ones championing this. This is an organisation that's purpose is to shape global agendas started with a German gentleman. They said that they are proud to challenge stereotypes and want to show that the great outdoors are for everyone's enjoyment and not just white privilege. And we need to start... <laughs> and we need... We're looking at Ernest, didn't we? We're going... You get... We need to start marketing walking in parks to black people as well as white privileged people. That's a tiny taste of where we're at the day in the world and where we're going in the world and what's already happening and coming and actually with us in the world today. Of course, you may ask, well, that's 
get nothing to do with spiritual things. And you maybe wonder why my introductions like this, which is going to take up nearly all the time this morning, usually what it does before we get into a, a new chapter or a new section. And people say, well, that sounds more like political and social than it does spiritual and biblical. Timothy Keller, the Gospel Coalition reader, sent a post the other day saying, the church needs to create more room for political differences. I agree. However, I believe that the world has been hijacking the church for so long. And at the moment, it's at an all-time high in my lifetime. And for that reason, we need to know the difference between what's a political difference and what's an attack on God's word. When politics start deciding what's love, truth, what's care, what's not, what's equality, what's not, what's hate and what's not, what's grace and what's not, what's freedom and what's not, who's God and who's not, when it oversteps the word and rearranges it, then demands we adhere to it, when it manipulates and lies through media and all sorts, and then they pass those lies on to us that we've to adhere to because they've passed laws that we need to adhere to, then that's no politics. That's spiritual abuse and an attack on your faith. Therefore, it's not political at all. Therefore, I replied to Timothy Keller and I says, I don't believe any church will be healthy if they are so far apart aligned politically in this day and age, in this season anyway. I believe politics has become a religion, therefore I believe a politically non-aligned, spiritual aligned church is in a sense uh, going to be fragmented. Without doubt, without doubt it'll be fragmented. If it was simply political and the economics, then fine. If it was simply that and it was literally was politics, when politics was politics, that would be fine. But as we know, politics isn't politics anymore. Politics has not been politics for a long while. And politics is certainly no politics, certainly been in the last, it seems to have gathered an amazing amount of momentum over the last 18 months and two years. The churches became so weak. Why? Because it still sees a massive difference between politics and when it's truly spiritual. The minute that you mention politics, they cannot, many Christians have been hijacked so much that they cannot think for a minute that this is spiritual because the word politics is mentioned in it or it's said by a politician. So therefore, it is now politics. Therefore, a Christian should be quiet and say nothing. I read a post from a Cambridge pastor this week. He said, quote, I'm encouraged to see international networks and lawyers and doctors fighting against abusive lockdowns. But where is the international coalition of pastors? Do we lack organisation or courage or both? A pastor replied, as a pa and his reply epitomises things for me. As a pastor, I'm not going against the official medical advice during this pandemic. That's not my role in my place. I can hear pastors say amen. My job is simply to help the church cope in this situation. Really? 
There lies the great issue and problem that the church faces today. The world has convinced the church and played the politics and church don't go together card so much that the church has become predominantly and almost universally silent towards things that are destroying people's lives, the world, and eventually a free speech in church. So therefore, if it's called politics and enforced by politicians, it's political. And the church should suck it up and show how resilient they are and loving they are by saying nothing, complying with everything and being gracious to everybody. Have you ever read church history? You ever read? You ever read the life of John Knox? You've never read the life of John Knox. There's an amazing book. It's only about that thick, so it's not a big, heavy book. And it's by Dr. Steve Lawson. And it's, about, and it's a, it's a comic, it's a biography, a small biography in the life of John Knox. If you've never really read stuff about uh, old Puritans or men like that, then that would be a great introduction book. If you can't get it, come and see James at the end or Don or somebody and we'll try and order you. It's only a few pounds. In fact, if any is one, if any is one, what I'll say is, as soon as we're just talking about generosity here, not to make it about me, if any is one, bill me and I'll pay for it myself, okay? That's not everybody wants it and going to sell it. <laughs> now, maybe, folk that don't read, folk that don't the youth at the back, we are in like 10 copies, Pastor Mark. <laughs> it's political and the church should suck it up and show how resilient they are and loving they are by saying nothing, complying in the most gracious way. I agree. If it was politics we were talking about. However, when the politicians start to play God, rewrite what's truth, what's love, what's care, decide what's worship, how to worship, what can be said and what not be said, then force it upon people by saying, the experts say. What experts? What experts? The experts, the experts that they use. We all know that there's other experts, don't we? <laughs> don't we? We do know that. Yeah, but no, no, we're no thick. No, I'm not saying that to you. I'm saying that to the government. We're no stupid. We know that there are other truths that's beyond the one that you're peddling. The church must stand firm, therefore, in faith and sound doctrine. This is why I think 2 Timothy is such a profound, amazing letter for us to be in at this time. Do we want to get caught up in foolish quarreling? Quarreling? It was easy for me to say. Ignorant disputes? No. We don't, as it says, and we've studied for weeks. However, are we not to teach truth? Are we not to teach truth anymore, even though we believe it is a truth? Do we not teach it because somehow they've put a rule? The churches now get certain rules and because we became so passive in the church that we've now made it a rule. It's almost like the rules. Of the, it's the church I see now used to say that in all at Visions. It's like the churches get a rule now of what you can and can't say. I meet pastors and speak to different pastors all the time. And I'm thinking, you seem to have been 
amputated to think that you're not allowed to speak because somehow, somehow, you are being convinced that that's political. And if you would open your eyes and you would see that none of this is political or very, very little of it is political. Do I believe that these people are evil by nature? I believe they're being given over to a depraved mind, many of them, to do what is not fitting to God. And we're going to get into that uh, in a moment. This is what we made, this is what we studied in 2 Timothy 2. Just to get some balance here, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We must rightly divide the word. That also means at times we need to call out something that's not the word. If it affects the church and people. 2 Timothy 2.19 Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows whose are his and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. And here we have at the day many, many people, many people Claim to be believers. I heard Camilla Harris say the other day, she is a woman of faith. Yet she clearly supports abortion, Planned Parenthood, and so many other things. But she's a woman of faith. Really? 2 Timothy 2, 23 and 26. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient and humility, correcting those who are in opposition. Of God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snares of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do as well. Correcting those who are in opposition. Opposition to what? Opposition to God's word and truth. It does not say find a common agreement. That's where we're living today. That's where the, mostly the church is at today. Find a common agreement. It doesn't say either. If it's said and done by a politician, it doesn't count, so therefore we should never say anything, nor question it. Just because they've got a title politician. Just because you, if they've got a title politician, but they're using, they're distorting God's word, it doesn't matter whether they're a politician or not. It doesn't say, well... They say they're a believer. So therefore, we'll not put anything in question. They say they're a believer. If you're thinking most of the church, mostly the Roman Catholic church today, practically all. Well, I'm a believer. That's it. End of question. End of argument. End of conversation about faith. It says if it is an opposition to God's word, this is what Paul instructs Timothy. Correct it. Why? So that they would know the truth and that truth would lead to repentance. When you don't question anything, when you don't say anything, when you don't remain faithful in troubled times, the snares in the, the, snares in the enemy... And this is what we see, the snares in the enemy continues and the people who should have been corrected for saying something, 
There's no honest or truthful or pretending to be believers when they're not believers end up becoming a worker for Satan. And our job is, is we're going to try and help you stop that. That's love, isn't it? No? We, want, we want to stop Satan using you as a mouthpiece because we want to tell you the truth that hopefully the scales will come off your eyes and you'll be able to know the truth, see the truth, speak the truth and therefore lead with it. It's for everybody, not just some. If one is forcing ideas on you and forcing us to change what is true, therefore we should speak truth. We should speak truth. We shouldn't go down the road, well, that's not the church's job. What, to speak truth's not the church's job? When? <laughs> What's the reason? That they would come to their senses. So they would avoid the snares of the devil and they'll become a slave to his schemes. Okay, turn me to Romans, the book of Romans, please. Romans 1, I want to share some stuff from Romans 1 before we get into the main text, which will be an introduction to that main text in chapter 3. Or again, context here, context is everything. It's interesting in the university, in the, in the, uh, at the moment we have just went through the Old Testament, and we're going through the New Testament at the moment, and we're really in an introduction and it was great that we just spent two hours and maybe a bit more, they spent two hours with a, with a lecture, a, a guy who was real passion and he was, he was sharing about all the, for two hours, all the different groups and mindsets that was going on in society before Jesus became the Messiah. Fantastic. Uh, and, and it really, I, I think I was going through the Gospel of John in such detail help because we know that the reason that, that Jesus would make like the, the, the lame man pick up his bed and walk was to challenge the pharisaical uh, laws and the, the, the Sadducee law and rules of why you couldn't heal on the Sabbath and carry a bed on the Sabbath and write with a pen on the Sabbath or whatever. Uh, and it's great going through that, but also just, just want to say that uh, it's important that as we get into chapter 3, this is why I'm detailing this as well, because it gives you a bit of context, correct context, of why Paul's about to say next week, he's about to say to Timothy. And Paul here is writing to the church, as we know in Romans, is writing to the church in Rome, which is quite fitting considering in uh, 2 Timothy he's a prisoner in Rome, uh, writing to young pastor Timothy, who is pastoring in Ephesus, and as we know, facing such... Uh, opposition and hardship and uh, challenges to compromise and bring in other things into the church because people want it. Uh, Paul wrote Romans, and we're not going to get into detail here. We will, if we ever get into Romans. Uh, Romans is known to, or believed by many to be the greatest Christian writing in history. By, by many, if not most. Around 55 AD, Paul would have wrote, Romans, so this would have been maybe about seven, eight years before uh, he's wrote to Timothy um, when in jail in Rome. Uh, so by this point, when Paul wrote Romans, he's been a Christian for over 20 years. By the time he's wrote to Timothy and to Timothy, he's been a Christian for nearly 30 years. And he's not just a Christian that attended church. He's a Christian that walked with Jesus in the flesh, seen Jesus in the flesh, who was visited by Jesus in the flesh. 
A prisoner who was in jail and was sang praises to God and chains fell off him. I mean, he's got an ast- his life is just astounding. So you have to take heed when he says things. Uh, and it would be foolish to ignore Apostle Paul. There were no one more like Christ than Paul when he's writing these things. Uh, he's a man not to be ignored. This is what he says in Romans 1, 21 to 25. And the reason I go here is because when we go seven years later, what I'm going to say in 2 Timothy, you can tell that Paul's got such a wealthy experience before he gives Timothy this instruction. Um, uh, Romans 1, 21 to 25, because although, and he's talking about Gentiles here who have heard God, but because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. Nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Knowing God's no enough. This is what Timothy Paul's saying when he's writing to the church in Rome. It's no enough. How many people do you know who say, I believe in God? I know God. I'm a Christian. I go to church. Yeah, but you don't live a life that honours that God who you claim to worship. You may hear then, hear him saying, well, I praise God. Or, do you? Matthew 15, 8 and 9 says, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain glory, they worship me, teaching his doctrines, which you this, the commandments of men. Here is the greatest battle that we face in the church today is, is that the church is teaching God's word and they're changing it into man's words. Isaiah 29, 13, which really Matthew's drawn from, from this, it says, uh, these people come near to me with their mouth and honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They wa- their worship of me, this is in the NIV, their worship of me is based on merely human rules that have been taught to them. I give you the Roman Catholic Church right there. They worship me based on human rules. Leon Morris says, when people reject God, it affects their minds as well as many other things. He adds, sin is never in light, a lightened procedure, despite the attitude of advanced secularists. <laughs> it always represents a darkening of some part of us, end quote. How true is that? The advanced secularist world, the ultra-liberalism, it's advanced. Their love's advanced. Their care's advanced. Their knowledge is advanced. But it becomes darker. When we deny God, when people deny his kingship, their sin tells them that they're more advanced. How many deniers of Christ now think they have a higher form of knowing? Alcoholics Anonymous, 12-step programs. You can, you just pick your own God. You have a God of your own understanding. That makes you in charge of him. If it's a God of your own understanding, he can't be any bigger than you. They're a problem. And people say, well, that's just the entrance. Trust me, it's not just the entrance. It becomes 
the thing. We've got a higher form of knowing when in truth it's darkness that is making them see things in a distorted way. In a purely informational sense, just to give you an example here, can I figure out where we could be with us at times? How many of us think when we lose our minds, go off our head, shout and bawl like psychopaths? How many of us think we're right in the moments? You never shout and bawl and go off the rails and think I'm wrong at the time. Because see, if you knew you were wrong, you would stop. You don't stop, you just keep going. Because you somehow were able to convince ourselves that we are in the truth and telling the truth, are acting in righteousness and even righteous anger. In truth, you're acting like a fool. Verse 22 and 23 Romans 1, professing to be wise, they became fools and, in, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God, which you hear this, into the image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Here's the darkness. Here is the lies taking over. This is what we're seeing every day within the church and so-called godly men as well as the political arena. Glory has changed. This is so subtle that you need to be fully aligned with the word to see it. I was talking to Mikey the other day, Mikey Delaney, and he was telling me about his, Mikey loves rap music, as we know, uh, but he used to listen to the other kind of rap, and he was telling me about a man called Lecrae, and he's just the way he's saying it, he's going to language for it, his hair does talk about it, and he just said it, just as it just came out his tongue, he's like, he says, the problem with Lecrae is he's, he's nearly right. There lies a problem. He's nearly right. Nearly right more dangerous. The glory's changed. This is subtle that we need to be fully aligned with the word. To see it last week, we called it the plumb line. We talked about the plumb line. The plumb line, the, the spirit level, the level that, that, that aligns truth in the word from everything else, the more we're in the Word. When we see it, because we're in the Word as a church, we're, we're faithful to the Word as a church. When we hear stuff, we just go like, <laughs> it's almost like, it's astounding to think that it goes unseen. You're almost like, I cannot believe you can't see that that's dangerous. I cannot believe... Why, do we, why can we be so clear in that? Because in the word is the great plumb line. We know ourselves as our own human life and when we veer away from the word, all of a sudden what's not right is right. Sin's no longer sin, it's choice. No sorts of stuff. Now good is God. Love is inclusion. Freedom's getting to make your own choices. That's real freedom. Getting to make your own choices and anything other than that's no freedom, it's suppression. Now it's not the spirit that's leading the church and the word of God, it's man's ideas and desires. 
It's the flesh, it's sinful desires. They are getting passed off as love and care and grace and God has been reinvented. He's moving on. Even N.T. writes and in that stuff. I mentioned Timothy Keller there. Other ones who are reinventing things for the modern times. The politicians who are so-called believers, they're constantly reinventing what love is and what the yardstick is that's not got any plumbing whatsoever to God's word. None whatsoever. The word is no longer a lamp. <laughs> it's man's own enlightenment. Man's own revelation. I heard Callum saying yesterday to me or two days ago. It's illumination of God's word. We need no private revelation. The word's been written. But now it's man's new revelation. A new prophecy. A new idea. We've got a greater understanding of the problem. Sin's never the problem now, isn't it? No. Sin's not the problem in any... Almost sin is... Sin has been totally obliterated for the language in the world today. Sin is no longer the problem. It's you've got some issue. There's something wrong with you. You've got something... And I always say this to put a buffer out. Yeah, there's many things that we have get more understanding of the day. And that's right. But when that understanding starts to reinvent truths, the word proclaiming here is fasco. In Greek, it means to boast. Men love to boast. They love to boast about how smart they are and wise. I was reading the other day that there's a young guy who I'd met a wee while ago. I've not met him, seen him for maybe a couple of years now, a year and a half. And he was telling me about a year and a half ago, he was thinking he'd gone and done leadership training. Thinking he'd just starting a website and get into leadership training and helping people become a better leader because he's got a wealth of experience of being a leader and he wants to teach people to be leaders. And I can remember categorically saying to him, I says, the church doesn't need more people like that. The church needs more faithful men of God who preach the word to faithful men. The last thing the church needs is more individual entrepreneurial leaders who are going to go and teach their man-made ideas and knowledge to Christians. Men love to boast about how smart they are, what they've learned on the way. They love the thought that they're wise in their own eyes. In the end, it leads to ruin, Proverbs says. Because what they've done is they've slowly but surely turned God into the image of man. You see that everywhere the day in posts and stuff. You know, this is the type of preaching you hear all the day, you know, like, me and my daughter, this is... I can't eat, this is, this, is, this is the preaching of the day, right? Me and my daughter were sitting eating spaghetti. This is usually the end, this is usually the, the segue in. Right? Me and my daughter were sitting eating spaghetti. Like, I'm having to make this up on the spot here because I've prepared nothing here for this one. <laughs> we're sitting eating spaghetti. You get what I'm coming for? We're sitting eating spaghetti and she says, Dad, am I a princess? 
And then it starts the whole story. The night, I'll, 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 I'll say one, I'll tell you one, right, because I should have prepared. I'm sure he's not. I mean, this is the whole modern preaching, the day that you tell a life story. You tell a life story, a problem or a situation or something. I seen a woman running for a bus the other day and that got me thinking. I'm thinking, the word's way better than that. Seriously, are you telling me that that's your best explanation for faith and love and a sound mind and following God as you sit and tell us a story about spaghetti with your four-year-old? Are you telling me that that's going to be more helpful? Really? You're using your experience and what you know as if it's better than what God's word says? Here we've got a man who walked with Christ. Apostle Paul murdered Christians, an educated man. Walked with Christ in the flesh, met Jesus in the Damascus Road, in the flesh, spoke to him. Years walking through churches, built churches, founded churches, started churches, Gentile churches, Jewish churches. Churches in every city, in every town, not even any. The church today exists because of these men. But what he says is irrelevant because we want to talk about wee genie spaghetti story. Really? As if that's better? I'm going to tell you one tonight, okay? I will tell you one tonight. I look at this stuff and I think, really? That's your into the word? Because what have they done? They've turned the image of God into the image of man. This is why you've got celebrity pastors. Because there's no longer the image of God, it's the image of man. It's no longer what the text actually says, but what man thinks it's saying. And what man has learned from what it's said. In fact, the world, the word now is only a tool. At best, at best. Because God has now been moulded into man's ideas and man's wisdom, which results in man worship, idol worship. Then what man endorses, you see it? Then what man endorses, in the name of Jesus, becomes law. What man then endorses in the name of Jesus. Many of us have been in the pragmatic church. You get taught in one. You get taught with me in one. And then what man says becomes law as if it's the word and that's the way it should be interpreted. And this is where false religion starts. Because it's what man says and it's what man's seen. The Mormon church started with a man called Joseph Smith. Many of you know that. Joseph Smith got a revelation in about 1830. He was visited by an angel called Moroni. 1830, Joseph Smith was visited with Moroni and it was a new download. It's always a new download, isn't it? It's always a new download. It's a new download. After that, Joseph Smith himself had countless, countless fake prophecies. Which tells you in the Bible, if you have one, it nullifies you as a prophet. 
He'd countless. After him, he died. He's contemporary. He's Timothy. He's Timothy was Brigham Young. He took over. He also had many false prophecies. He also married seven of Joseph Smith's widowed wives. He married so many times and seven. He was married a lot more than that, but he, he must have had, oh, you've picked good, you've, you've picked good women, Joseph. I'm, go, I'm going to get your ex-wife. Seven his ex-wives he married. A bit later, in 1870, Charles T. Russell, as we know, got a revelation that started what we know the day as the Jehovah's Witness movement. He also had a wealth of false prophecies that has led to him not being quoted. He's almost the embarrassment of the Jehovah's Witness world today. You mentioned the Jehovah's Witness about Charles Taze Russell's fake prophecies and sorts. They'll say, you know what, we don't follow him. Really? We follow the watchtower. Their Bible, the New World Translation, has been written to suit their leanings. I know. I've studied, no, they're greater scholars than me, but I've studied enough to have a debate with any Jehovah's Witness about the words that they've taken out and removed from the Bible to suit their, to suit Joseph Smith's and Brigham Young's teachings, that they've removed stuff. One of the classics of the Jehovah's Witness, they'll, they'll say that the Disney mentioned the cross, it mentions a, I think it's a tortured stake. And the word cross is never mentioned, so they believe the cross is paganism. It's one of their biggies. And the person that wrote that uh, about it being a tortured stake, because that's only part of the quote. <laughs> In his book where he talks about the tortured stake, he also talked at length about the cross. But they leave that out. Because it doesn't suit the narrative. If you get Colossians 1.10, it talks about all things, that God created all things. They've removed the word all things and they put the word other in, created all other things so that it makes Jesus no deity. Tez Russell was tried in court and asked if he could speak Greek for the sake of his sound biblical knowledge. He says, yes, of course I can speak Greek. He says, well, that's good. You'll be able to teach us then. And the gentleman went and got a Greek dictionary and a Greek alphabet. And some very basic Greek words. To which, in fact, he then says, no, you're right, I can't speak a word of Greek. I don't even know the alphabet. Or barely. In fact, Paul takes it further and goes beyond man. All things get the same level of worship status and idolatry. God is now an eagle. You get this in Egyptian religions. A dog. Whatever man makes him, God is whatever you want it may be. People worships all sorts. Cattle is a common one, bulls, eagles, insects. It feels good. It must be God because God is good all the time and all the time God is good. Really, that's the statement. That's the statement. Oprah Winfrey says that. Well, celebrating Allah, worshippers. God is good all the time and all the time God is good. Is that right, Oprah? You're talking to a Muslim here. 
I don't know, but I'm all inclusive. Because God's beyond that. We've had people speaking in this church and God's now beyond the word. He's in the realm. You know, it's no, it's no, it's no, it's no as crass as your Charles Taze Russells. It's no as crass as your Joseph Smith. But it's every bit as dangerous and every bit as false religion. Because they're not saying, you know, I get a revelation of God in a park that Moroni came to me. But they are saying as, you know, what well, I'm a believing. I'm understanding. They never quote the word anymore. I understand God is this and God is that. And he's different. Verse 24 and 25, Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lusts of their hearts to dishonour their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Leon Morris again says, People cannot be saved from sin by idolatry. End quote. You can't get saved from sin by equality, by idolatry. Think about it. No amount of worshipping the wrong thing help you live the more righteous life. It's just that simple, isn't it? No amount of you worshipping the wrong thing was able to help you have a more righteous life. In fact, it corrupted you more. God doesn't leave the scene here. Many of us know that because we mostly all have experienced, I'm sure, God. And, we're, and here when Apostle Paul is talking, he's, they've acknowledged God, but they're just, they know he exists. He's, they believe they've seen enough. But they're living as if he doesn't exist. And many of us know what that's like. And if I to give you an example of this, is when you know you're sinning, but you've no peace about it. Thank God when you're sinning, you've no peace about it. Do you know why when you're sinning, you've no peace about it? It's because God's not left the scene. <laughs> if God had left the scene, you would have perfect peace about what you were doing. The reason you have no peace about sinning is because God's still there. Isn't that scary? <laughs> yeah, the grey mist comes over and you maybe just go off in one. And there's a lot of pain in that. There's a lot of pain and anger. Often we have to see that there's a lot of pain and anger. But then there can be a lot of guilt and shame that comes with it. Why? Because God's not left the scene. That's why when you're going about to do the wrong thing, you need to try and get God out of your mind and out of your life. You need to try and remove him as much as possible. You don't even want to look at the Bible. Some of you know what I'm talking about. I know what I'm talking about. Shamefully. We'll all experience, I'm sure, God or guilt and shame among our sinning. Didn't we? Thank God that we experience God in, amongst our sinning. We try to drown it out, shut him out. Didn't need to do that when we weren't saved. Need to do it when you're saved. Not even think anything about it. You were dead and lost in your sins and trespasses. Why did we do that? Why does people do that? Because although we know God, we desire to be worshipped and gain our own God, a God of our own choosing, a God that we shape and one that bows down to us and our desires and our flesh. It's politics. Always politics because it's said and enforced by politicians. 
Is it just politics because it said be a politician? No. This is where we're at in the world today. And much, not all, thank goodness many, or some, not many. Some have only rendered to Caesar what is Caesar's, but some have rendered everything to Caesar. There are way too many churches surrendering everything to Caesar rather than what Caesar's to Caesar. Under the guise of we're loving people and we've got this new found way of reaching the broken in the 21st century. Thank goodness for your John MacArthur's. Thank goodness for your John MacArthur's. He's a giant of the faith during this time. An absolute giant of the faith during this time. And for that, I'm grateful, I'm sure. You are. Please continue to pray for them in that church. What an inspiration there he is. Everything I've just said there, and I've got one minute to go. <laughs> Everything I've just said there is the essence of the next seven verses that I'm going to read in chapter three. Everything I've just said there is the essence. Yeah, everything that's going to come in the next part of chapter 3. In fact, much of the polls later and completely. And why we must not veer from the word when he's been pressed to embrace things and accept things that are not in line with the word, but in line with what man wants and what man thinks. Paul, through much experience, as we know, dangers the church can fall into, the downward spiral that we talked about and the downgrade spiral that we talked about with Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Things stop being challenged. Things are brushed over. Don't you think that's what's happening in church today? Just things just seem to get brushed over. Nothing gets challenged now. It's politics. It starts as a slight difference, as Mikey says, it's nearly right. Just a slight difference in opinion. Or even a big difference in opinion becomes a monster. That will put a very dark cloud. And it's put a very dark cloud over the world and the life of the church for much of it. And before long, man will have another idea. And his flesh will sell him another lie and truth. I'm going to read one verse, well, I'm going to read the seven and then we'll close. Paul here is not so much warning at the start of chapter three. He's not so much warning Timothy. But he's almost giving him a fast forward picture. In fact, he's given him a now picture as well. And a picture of what he's witnessed and seen, especially from the church in Corinth here. James mentioned it. The subheading, if you've got a MacArthur Study Bible, the subheading in this whole section is Perilous Times and Perilous Men. Let me read the first seven verses as we bring this in and we'll speak on these verses over the next few weeks. Now, similar they are to what Paul was speaking to the men or writing to the church in Rome about. It's like Paul's given Timothy an ugly trailer. Don't you think you'd, would you not love an ugly trailer? And you and you're selling yourself a bad, bad idea, you never give yourself an ugly trailer. I should call that message tonight an ugly trailer. You should have an ugly trailer. Yeah. I think God will always give you an opportunity to, to show you an ugly trailer of things to come. But you just, you don't want them. I'm not looking at the ugly trailer. No, you should look at the ugly trailer. 
Uh, it's great when you get men like Apostle Paul or men of faith who come to go, listen, can I just show you the ugly trailer of what's coming if you don't adhere to what's getting said to you here? No, 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 I don't want to see the ugly trailer, I'm fine. Really? I've decided it's okay. What's happened is my flesh is calling all the shots. There is an ugly movie coming your way. Coming to a cinema near you. Coming to your household very soon. If you don't start adhering to what's going to say, nah, nah, I want this. And Paul's like, I'm going to show you an ugly trailer here, Timothy. In fact, I'm not just going to show you an ugly trailer. I'm just going to show you, I'm going to show you a movie that's going to continually play between now and Jesus coming back. It's worse. You're like, well, it's only for a season because what happens to Timothy here is, is hey, I, I'm just going to this now, right? What, what you actually think is, is that Timothy's, Timothy's timorousness, as we know, and Timothy's desire to compromise, the desire to, you know what, I'll let that go. Do you know what, I'm not going to bother challenging them today. The I'll let it go. They'll be better tomorrow. Paul is saying, you know what, it's not getting better tomorrow. Paul's saying to Timothy, I know you think that these people that are coming against you and rising up against you are going to go away. He says, they're not going to go away. He says, see when they go away, more are coming. He says, in fact, more are coming to the point of yours that they're never going to go away. It's going to be how it is. Many of us are like, you know what, I'll just not say anything. I'll bite my tongue. And sometimes that's the right thing to do. How often does our flesh no light playing out the trailer? Yet we need them. Because the word is a lamp to your feet and a guide to your path. And when we're knowing that, you can't see two, two inches in front of you. The, the grey mist comes over and you laugh, I just see what my feelings are. My, I just, it's just my feelings today. But when the word is a lamp to your feet, you can see often at times yards in front of you. You see the problems that you wouldn't cut if you made that bad choice. You know what they were called in the book of Acts? Men of the Word. Yeah. Men of the Word. People of the Word. You can see the light in the snares. They're known in the dark, and Paul is that man to Timothy. This is what he says to Timothy 1. But know this. That in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiven, slanderous without self-control, brutal despisers of good, brutal despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And from such men turn away. For of this sort of those who creep into the household and make themselves captives of gullible women loaded down with sin, led away by various lusts, always learning but never being able to come to the truth. One verse will say, but know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. Well, we're in them. Timothy was in them there. We're in them. It wasn't hard enough, it's getting a lot more serious. And Paul is saying to Timothy, you can't fix this. I really need to close. You can't fix this. I'm not going to get into that note. 
You can't fix this. And I want to say this to close. You can't fix this. This is no something to be remedied. It's a life to be lived. This is no a problem to be solved. And Paul's saying to Timothy, this is no a problem to be solved with these people that are against you. This is no one. So many as as believers, we think it's a problem to get solved and it'll go away. And it's no, it's a certain life that we're called to live. And Paul's saying to Timothy, this is not a problem with these guys that you need to solve or hopefully you can brush under the carpet and it'll go away. It's going to be here forevermore and it's going to be a way of living. The modern church today, oh, I hope somebody's hearing this. The modern church today thinks that this is going to go away and they think it's going to wash away and it's going to, the pandemic's going to, don't even say that word. The fake pandemic's going to go away. And it's going to be okay. And everyone's going to get back to normal. But it's okay because the church has been able to adapt. And we'll adapt to the new normal. This is no going away. This is no a pandemic or a fake pandemic or a problem that's going away. This is a systemic issue. And it's a satanic issue on the church of Jesus Christ and it ain't going away people it's going to keep continuing therefore men of faith we have to remain faithful during troubled times because it ain't changing the grass ain't greener on the other side tomorrow ain't going to be better this is not about tomorrow being better this is about us standing in the word of God today, tomorrow and forever and passing it on to faithful men Amen Thank you for joining us for our podcast here at Hope United Church. If you'd like to get in touch or for any more information, please visit www.hopeunited.org.uk.